Welcome back to the Finding Family Purpose podcast. I'm Cortland, joined as always by Dr. James Wilder. How are you doing today? Doing wonderful. Glad to be back. I'm glad to be back as well, and we're glad you guys are back. I mean, can you believe it's already episode three, Dr. James? Yes, I can't believe it. It's like we just started. It seems like just a few minutes ago, we were back in this room recording the second episode. Right. Well, man, today we have an exciting interview It's weird to call it an interview when we have more than one person we're talking to. Dr. James, why don't you go ahead and tell us about the uh, people that we are hearing from today? We've got Dr. Brian Camp, who's a current professor at Oklahoma Baptist University, and then Dr. Alan Bandy, who was 11 years with OBU, but now teaches at New Orleans Theological Seminary, and they're both going to talk to us a little bit about church and human sexuality and how to have healthy conversations about that. A couple of things I want you to be looking for as you listen to this podcast. Uh, they both describe the need for us to be using healthy biblical language, obviously in an appropriate context. But in particular, Dr. Kant mentioned that biology shouldn't be connected to morality, uh, which is a very non-complicated thing in regards to our communication. But sexuality is always tied to morality. Biology shouldn't be tied to morality, but sexuality is always tied to morality. And that's what makes it more complicated when we're talking about it with others and with our family. But the lack of conversations with each other are what opens opens us up and opens our family members up to receiving the wrong message. So mm. be looking for these things that they're brought up in the in the podcast. Thrilled to be with you men once again. This is Dr. Brian Camp and Dr. Alan Bandy. Uh, I'm Dale Griffin. I'm going to be walking through this interview, and I'm just thrilled to be with friends. Good to see you guys. Good to be here. It's it's like old times. Brian Camp, he's a professor at Oklahoma Baptist University. And let's see, how many years have you been there now? Starting my 19th year. That's fantastic. I know... So many students that have sat in your class and that you've mentored over the years, and and I want to thank you for your care of so many students. Some of them hopefully will be listening in, some of our alumni. And then also, Dr. Alan Bandy, you were at OBU for a number of years. How long were you at OBU? I was there for 11 years, Uh, and, and those were sweet years for me. I so enjoyed that time of serving with you men together. And you're at New Orleans now. Tell us about that position. So uh, I'm going into my third year here at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, last year, I took on the role of the director of PhD studies here. And uh, so entering into my third year, and it's been great. It's been, you know, new challenges, but I love, love the seminary. Dr. Dew, the president, fantastic leader and the students are great so and in new orleans is is there's no other city like it and so it's been it's been an adventure uh, i do miss oklahoma on a pretty regular basis but i'm glad to be here sure absolutely so dr camp is an expert in in family uh, ministries and all things family and and that's why he's at OBU. Of course, Dr. Abandi is an expert in, in biblical studies. He's an expert in New Testament. And, uh, and so that's why these two men have worked together, um, putting their thoughts together toward the church and human sexuality. How do we address human sexuality in the church? And in particular, I'm wanting the, the church not to be this this generic, the church is out there, but instead, I'm wanting to think of it in terms of families, families who are hurting, families who are confused. I mean, they're looking for help. How do we raise our children in this culture? And uh, there's a book called Discipled Sexuality. Is that correct? And could you (laughs) tell us about that? It's a work in progress. Working title right now. So what I'm hoping is to draw out of you some of the things that we're going to find in that book, and and let me and everyone encourage you to get that that book finished. Well, it seems that language is one of our biggest challenges in this area. So so would the two of you help us with with language? Yeah, I think that, you know, when we look at the landscape of what the church is 
doing and, and challenges that they face with regard to the issues of sexuality, probably the most overlooked and yet most powerful thing that is missing is the church hasn't identified the fact that they've given up the language battle. We have bought into the language of the culture, and we use the terms that the culture uses, which in in fairness, if you're going to be nice to people, that's that's understandable you do that. But when you're talking and teaching within the church, you can use a different language, and we're not. And so I think that that's where Dr. Bandy and I have seen most of the the real battles in the church originate is because you say things and you assume them to be fact or you assume them to be correct. And in fact, that may be just bad language to begin with. Dr. Bandy, of course, his expertise in biblical everything, as far as I can consider him, he can, can talk a little bit about that. But there's there's words that we use, like the word homosexual, for example, is, yes. you know, so so prevalently thrown around in our culture today. And yet that the use of that word in a biblical context is very different. Even the word itself doesn't come into to our our lexicon, lexicon history until uh, the late 1800s when some of the scientists of the world were atheist scientists at that were trying to classify people as being something. And it's the first time we start using language with regard to sexuality, rather than just describing what people do, we're now trying to put them into a box and you are this person. Mm. And that's, that's an example of how the language has gotten distorted mm. across time. Dr. Bandy? Yeah. I mean, kind of further, further illustrate what Dr. Kemp's talking about. When you think about words and terms that we use, they're often ho- you know filled with a bunch of baggage. How you define things, what you're referring to, there's ideologies, there's currents in the way people think about things that are embedded in that. And when we use those terms, we're, we're also adopting a lot of that baggage and, and, and worldview associated with common parlance. And I mean, it's very similar to, you know, I can talk with a Mormon about God and Jesus, but my definition of God and Jesus are different. So we're using the same words, right? But we have totally different conceptions of who that is. So things like homosexual and heterosexual are words that did not come into the English language until, Brian, was it it mid-century, mid-20th century, or a little bit before? Yeah. Again, late 1800s, we start seeing the usage. Yeah. So late 1800s, you start seeing the usage, and, and the usage when it first came about was really a way of referring to people who practice sexual activity outside of both hetero and homo, outside of the normal means. In other words, it's purely for selfish gain. Perhaps, Dr. You know, Brian, you could elucidate that a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, the, the strangeness of how those terms got used. Again, by the scientific or medical communities, they were trying to, again, people into a box that said, you, because you do these things, you are acting this way, and therefore mm-hmm. you are this kind of person. And again, we could go on down that rabbit mm-hmm. hole long ways, but mm-hmm. we don't think of this term uh, very well whenever we're using it from a pulpit or in a discipleship class or even on the street. We don't think what, what luggage, what baggage comes along yes. with that. Yes. And, and so we wind up stepping on landmines and buying into mm-hmm. the fact that a word is self-identifying. It's like, Hey, I am a heterosexual. Well, hold it. How about I'm just a person created in the image of God? Where did yes. that get lost? Yes. And that's that's what gets lost in trying to find these other identity labels. And there's mm-hmm. many of them that we're using. Mm-hmm. And that's just one way that language gets mm-hmm. usurped by culture and the, the church is just following along in using it. Are there other ways where we misuse language you know, in speaking with young people and with our church members about sexuality? Lots of ways. I, you know, we identify several of these in in our book, but we talk about children being sexual. And it was a big to-do back in the 70s. Hey, children are sexual. It's like, well, no, they're not. (laughs) Stop, Stop doing that to children. 
Yes. Children are biological, but they're not sexual. They have the capacity and will develop sexuality across time. But what they are born with is simply biology that's equipped to become sexual. And uh, we use badly the words of biology. Biology is not a word that should even be connected to morality. It's just what is. Okay. Right? You got body parts, and we should be able to name all of them without without worry or fear or concern that we've done something bad. They're just body parts. But sexuality is always tied to morality. And Mm. so when we start using biology and sexuality interchangeably, that's a problem because we're we're trying to talk about one thing that's mm. and I and we hear people say just teach the facts. Well, the facts are complicated, but the biology facts are not amazingly complicated. Mm-hmm. It's the sexual facts that are complicated because now we're talking about the overlay of morality. Morality and sexuality have to go together, whereas morality and, and mm-hmm. biology don't. Yeah. Alan, I'd love to hear you speak to that as well. Part of the complication. And when we talk about language, we talk about the way we refer to things, the way we, um, you know, communicate ideas, right? But, but, and, and I'm going to, you know, kind of more of in a pastoral role, Please. I'm going to, I'm going to pull back and say, you know, within the church community, there tends to be a lot of discomfort about the human body as yeah. a whole. Um, and, and as such, Either we do we really mainly do one thing. We we avoid it. We avoid talking about it. We avoid talking about the reality that God made us male and female. And that's not just the two genders, right? There's a biological distinction between men and women. There's there's a way that our bodies are made and our reproductive organs and the way that, you know, we're we're geared um, you know, as image bearers made us to be fruitful and multiply, right? To <laughs> Genesis, right? So the sexual act was part of the created order. But in general, we typically shy away from some of that because it makes people uncomfortable. It's it's kind of deemed as impolite conversation. So to summarize what I'm hearing the two of you say, and I appreciate you doing this, because it's it's we're assuming it's mainly going to be pastors and parents and and ministry leaders who are are listening to this podcast because they're seeking help and what i'm hearing you say is is that we've given up language there there is biblical language that we can use that is healthy and that points all the way back to genesis and creation and i love this idea that you presented i as a student sitting here with you i'm thrilled to, to hear you say that you know there is an innocence for children that does need to be protected and acknowledged that they they need what i see that you're going to be talking about soon is discipled in the area of their sexuality this is part of the disciple making process is for them to learn what is appropriate for them as sexual beings. Do you mind just jumping right in on this whole idea of discipling and training? Now, you know, we don't have to be blunt, but we do have to name things accurately as they are and understand when we're describing who we are and how God made us, both physically as well as spiritually, it's okay to have those conversations. And I think the lack of those conversations and the lack of thinking through it in that way, what that does is, how do I say this? They're going to get that. They're going to get that messaging, right? I mean, you can raise your kids in a closet, like or a basement, and never let them have any exposure to other human beings or anything on TV or anything. But the reality is, you can't you can't shield it. Now, I think age appropriate education is important, right? Yeah. At the right time and 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 not being overly detailed, but yet being, you know, honest and straightforward when necessary. Not freaking out if your kids ask you a question or or if, you know, there's kids will be kids, right? There's sometimes body exploration that goes on and, and that causes a lot of discomfort. Being able to be comfortable talking about these things 
and rational, non-emotional ways, I think is important. Yeah, I think that what I see, again, as a therapist or as a teacher throughout the years, is I see people coming in having a, a very different story than what they are. My students come in and they tell me they didn't get information at the home. Well, I'm quite sure they did. But what happened was that a home or a church had a weekend seminar and they yes. went to it. And that's that's a really ineffective way to disciple somebody in anything. Mm. Um, hey, let's let's have a retreat one weekend. Mm. Great. That's more that's, just introductory. Yeah, hello, right. Yeah. And and we have treated the whole issue of sexuality kind of like introductory. Mm. And so, oh, you're 12 now. Well, then we better have a conversation. Yeah. Well, excuse me, shouldn't we have been talking since you were two? Yes. Since you understood language, shouldn't we have been talking constantly? Mm about who you are as a human being, including your sexuality. Mm. Kids learn how to flirt, but I'll bet very few parents have ever taught them how. How do mm. they learn what flirting is? How mm. do they learn to to be coy? What, how, how do you learn these things that are human interaction mm. things? Well, we, we watch it by living among people mm. and watching what they do. Well, if the guide who could say, hey, this is a healthy a model, and this is an unhealthy model. If the guide yes. could be with them in yes. that process, that would be really helpful. Mm. And yet so often the guide is is absent. Mm. Not because we as parents don't want our children to be healthy, but we don't know how to, to teach this. No one taught us. There's, there's this assumption that, well, people will just figure it out. Mm. Well, great. I'm not going to do that with my car. I was teaching my right. children to drive when they were six. Yes. And I would talk out loud about my driving, yes. saying, I'm going to turn here. And because I know my kids are listening, they're watching, they're mm. watching my attitude. So when we get 14 or 15 or 16 and they're being more intentional with driving training, yeah, those lessons from their whole life are coming into play, but I haven't just started exposing them to a car at age 16. And so I think that we've, we've really missed the, the mark on creating a whole life discipling process for kids to develop. You know, I think about the audience that's listening right now. I think about that mom who is thinking, you know, I'm a single mom. I'm trying to raise my son. And, and she feels all this pressure to have the talk, like there's going to be this moment, this event. And I, what I'm hoping from what I'm hearing from you is the pressures being taken off of the talk. The talk might be just introductory, but but there's more of us of a period of time have healthy models in this young man's life or this young woman's life. And and that discipleship is a process, not just in in who they are in Christ, you know, as witness bearers or whatever, but how they live their life in Christ in being male and female. Yes. This is wonderful encouragement. Yes, Dr. Bandy. Yeah. Brian, I'm going to start out, but I want you to help fill in. So much of where this is coming from is um, we have been teaching together on the topic of the Bible and sexuality for a number of years. And him and I, Brian and I have uh, had numerous discussions over the years. We've both read very widely on it. And so the combination of the two of us as one as a family science expert and another as a biblical studies expert, we're trying to wed two disciplines that often get separated. Yes. Okay. But one of the things that both him and I are united on is, you know, one, we're, we're aiming for healthy sexuality. Mm. And, 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 and so, yes, there are, you know, from a kind of a, a moral standpoint, there are right and wrong things, but what we're aiming for is not so much to describe what's wrong and what's right as what's healthy, what brings wholeness. And the reality is our sexuality doesn't define us. It's not not the defining characteristic of personhood, right? Yes. Being made in the image of God is. Yes. And all that that entails. And sexuality is a component. So God made us as sexual beings. Yes. Um, so it's a reality. And often it's, it's, it's kind of treated as, well, repress it, deny it. It's all bad. You know, keep shame on it. Mm -hmm. And 
our original kind of working title for our book was how to train your dragon (laughs) (laughs) the dragon of sexuality we've often used some some clips from the avengers movie where bruce banner is is okay it's time for you to bring out the hulk you know got to get angry and he turns around and says i'm always angry and then transforms into the hulk and so we all have the hulk within us we all have the dragon within us and it's not about denying it or or trying to rid ourselves of it but learning to live with it in a trained healthy way and When Brian and I were talking just the other day, um, the word in in Greek for disciple is uh, methetes. Discipleship is related to that. And it's a word that actually means, we we call it disciple, but what it actually means is learner. Yes. It is one who is learning and one who is training in that learning, right? And so... In the same way that we seek to be discipled in other areas of our life, right? Following Jesus, training our lives in the way of Jesus, right? Through prayer, Bible study, all of those things. Yes. Sexuality is another aspect of where discipleship applies. Hmm. And the training of that, right? It, it's coming to awareness of this, this, this thing that every single human deals with, <laughs> and as, that is every single person that may not have some other sort of like, you know, challenge and issue that might affect it, right? And, and how to live with it in a way that is God-honoring and, 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 and healthy and whole. Dr. Camp, do you want to you yes. chime in on any of that? You know, I, what I love about what two of you are doing in your profession, in in your skill, in your disciplines, is that you're in conversation with each other. And by the way, thank you for inviting us into the conversation. And you're inviting us into the conversation through the podcast, through the times when you teach together, but you're also inviting us in, in this, in this book. And 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 so thank you for doing that. Uh, but it seems there's a, a summary here of where we are so far, and that is the church for too long has unknowingly used language poorly, and and we've missed our opportunity to help people who are hurting. I mean, that's why the hands are going up. That that's why the questions. It's not just people who are living outside of God's boundaries sexually who are hurting. Uh, uh, this is an area where by giving up the language and by giving up the opportunity to disciple, we're missing the opportunity to walk with people through their pains. Uh, I heard David Johnson, a pastor in Minneapolis, call it the pain of pornea, the, the, the pain of sexual sin. But then there's the pain of people trying to live within the proper boundaries uh, but there's still confusion, and and so thank you for inviting us into that. And uh, so speak, if you would, to the the pain that people are experiencing in this area, Doctor Camp. Yeah, you know this is um, really pivotal pivotal for us in our in the work that we do. We saw students who were raising hands and and asking for more and writing journals and and telling us stories of their journey. And one of the things that came up in our class, which we hadn't thought about much, was the fact that um, you never stop being a sexual sinner. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. the church taught for a long time, all you got to do is get married, and then you don't have sexual sin anymore. (laughs) Hey, that's the fix, is just (laughs) get married, and it's all good. Well, if that's the case, then we wouldn't have any more problems, and yet we do. It's not a matter of knowledge. It, it, it is this matter of if, if we're not trained in how to, to proceed well, then we're probably going to proceed badly. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the, the hurt is everywhere. And again, it's not for lack of knowledge. I think mm-hmm. most people have enough basic knowledge. But we don't deal well with the redemption side. Um, hey, I'm a sexual sinner. Uh, how do I redeem that? How do I... 
How do I recover from this? How do I do better tomorrow or next week or next year? How do I live a more wholesome life, a healthier life, not a sin-free life? I mean, I know that's our goal. And yet we also know that I'm going to sin less, not be sinless. And that's true in sexuality. So we've got to stop pretending Mm. that all the married people have it figured out and the other people don't. Mm because right. it's just it's just a false dichotomy. I'm going to say, you know, I think going back to uh what often happens is because you know, kind of thinking as a parent, right? Yes. Uh what often happens is when parents are not comfortable with those subjects. Mm-hmm. When parents are not comfortable with sexuality. And added to that that sexuality tends to be a very intimate topic. It's a very personal topic. Um, and, and so part of this is in terms of generational thinking, you know, my parents raised me a particular way. Their way was not to talk about it, <laughs> you know, and, and I stumbled into that as a teenager and I was more informed by my peers mm. and by what I saw in movies and what I thought was what everybody was, you know, doing as opposed to really understanding it. There's a personal nature to it. And and it's not just that when people themselves are uncomfortable with it, but then when you talk about it. So here's what's an interesting thing that's developed. Okay. Uh, in all my seminary, Bible college training, most of anything that was related to sexuality was, well, what's, you know, calling out sins for sins, right? Yeah. That's That's one. <laughs> and the other is, you know, men, you know, don't, don't ever be alone with a woman, you know, an affair will destroy your ministry. And those things are true. Yes. Okay. Those. But there was never really this environment for me to think about some of the bigger issues and some of the more challenging aspects of the reality of sexuality. And it wasn't really until getting to know Brian, him and I just started talking and, yeah. and really for the first time in my professional life, I had someone that I could talk about with some of these very sensitive issues in a way that made me comfortable with the subject. Yes. So now I start having this conversation with people, sometimes randomly, like I'll just say something about, you know, well, there's this, this issue with sexuality. And one of the things that I found, I mean, it's gone into my, my, my home group Bible studies. I'll just mention something. And next thing I know, 45 minutes later, we're still talking about it. Mm. I've mentioned it in the classroom, even here at seminary. And I, then I, then I realized, whoa, you know, they probably might be offended. And then they just stop and they just put their pens down and, and listen. And mm. then their hands go up and they say, well, what about this? Or what do you think about that? And what I'm finding is, because I'm comfortable with talking about it, what I'm finding is people are hungry mm-hmm. in our Christian communities. They're starving yes. to have someone that it's okay to talk about these things. And it's not awkward and it's not weird or perverted. It's actually part of what we are dealing with as followers of Christ. And when I say what we're dealing with, I'm not necessarily talking about sexual problems or sexual sins, but the the reality that this 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 the sexuality, not just in terms of us personally, but the people around us. Hmm. And yeah. and invariably they say, yeah, my my brother's gay, or my sister is has a girlfriend, and and they begin to talk about it, and they want to know how then can I speak with them? How how should I think about these things? Uh, you know, it's it's very easy for me to call sin what the Bible calls sin. That's not a problem, right? And I don't mind doing that, right? But there's 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 other implications then to how through the gospel and in a Christ-like way, how we can enter into conversations and discussions with people. So it's not just about naming sin, but helping them have a more healthy understanding about human sexuality. So in summary, what we've talked about so far is we've given up language. Uh, We need to reclaim language. We need to see training not just kids and youth, but adults as well, in a lifetime 
of discipleship regarding sexuality. And, and the need is because of the hurt, I mean, the, the pain of sexual sin and the hurt that's created by confusion in these areas. And so we're now talking about the hope. Where is the hope in, in all of this? Yeah, I want to into that topic of hurt because I think the hurt and hope go together. Okay. Uh, and that is the, the church has done something that I don't think they've known that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Again, the language get, becomes a problem. Then the activities become a problem. The shame is a problem. And I think whenever we have abuse go on in the church. Yes. Right, so, and it can be in any form, shape. I don't care how you want to do it. We've got a, a person that gets abused. Well, the church has dealt with that as though it's a sexual activity. Mm. Now, kind of radical in my my thinking, I think that that's a form of abuse, but I don't want to call it sexual abuse. And the reason I don't want to call it that is because I think it diminishes what is designed to be sex, which is consensual and relational and a whole lot of other things that we don't have time in time for right now. Mm-hmm. But I think that it diminishes what is sex when somebody gets abused. So I don't think that I want to call it, again, using language correctly, mm-hmm. is a very intimate abuse and we need to deal with that. But we don't know how in the church other than to say, well, something, something happened to somebody mm-hmm. some way. And so we speak around it, but then we don't really have good, good language for healing. And we also have both with abuse and with mistakes, mislabeled people as now no longer valuable. Hmm. Um, You lost your virginity because of your mistake or because of an abuse. No, stop stop thinking that way. Why Hmm. does my value have to be tied to my virginity? Hmm. There's reasons why the Bible talks about women being virgins, but that's, that's a different conversation, and the church hasn't hasn't gotten past that. Hmm. So you're a human that's hurting. I don't really care what has happened to you. You're a human that's hurting. How can we now give you hope? That is the next question. But until we start acknowledging that many of the of the kids in particular are hurting because they they acted in a way that's not healthy or they had something happen to them that wasn't healthy. And we don't have a recipe for walking them through that. Or if I'm a sexual minority in in the fact that I have feelings that are very atypical. Uh, My peers have these feelings, but I have different ones. Well, those are, that's, that's a minority opinion. That's a minority feeling set. And we don't know how to handle that in the church. And so again, the language and the hurt, they often go together and we just don't deal with it well. Dr. Bandy, you want to address any of that? I do. Um, And, and there's lots of examples and, you know, scenarios I could come up with. But, you know, when we're thinking about the church community, we're thinking about that Christian context, the way that we have approached teaching and dealing with sex-related things, um, while I think the purpose behind it is good, what has been done? So in the 90s and going into the 2000s, you had the purity movement. Um, True Love Waits and other, you know, especially big, you know, youth group features, you know, got the rings to the purity rings and all that. Not not so much against the idea of promoting a culture of abstinence and purity. That's that's not my problem. But it's some of the messaging that went into that, especially for girls, um, that has had all kinds of negative implications. Um girls were viewed really as as the ones who were responsible for male sexuality. If I wear this outfit, I'm going to tempt boys to lust. Um, and, and, and so that puts a lot of burden on them. Some of the imagery used, whether it's a broken seal, you know, <laughs> or some other, you know, taking a piece of gum, chewing it up and coming, coming back and say, look, this is what happens. You know, if you give yourself before marriage, this is what you're giving your future husband, already chewed gum, and all the different things. That goes into a lot of the identity shaping of these young girls that um, there's been many books written describing as adults the ongoing psychological after effects of some of those teachings and, and the detrimental 
impact it has had on their own marriages. Um, so, so part of it is because we want to just say, you know, don't have sex before you're married. And once you're married, stay faithful. Those are good things. But the way we have approached it, it has shut down opportunity for more nuanced because sexuality is complex and and like for boys you know there's they're shamed and you know they're 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 not able because you know they may have sex drives or sexual feelings and they're not able to to really express those or come to grips with those in some of the most healthy ways you know kind of growing up and and once again then drives sexuality into secrecy and in the secrecy can take on a life of its own and cause other problems. Yes. So part of that hurt, it may not be abuse. It may just be that they're living in their own kind of prisons of, of, of shame and struggle. And the moment someone does say something, everybody else in the room kind of looks at them like, I can't believe you just said that. And, and they're often shut down. They're often, well, lust is a sin, or that's a sin. You need to repent. And, and that, what that does is it drives them outside the church. So kind of being in a, at the undergrad for a number of years, a lot of my students, once they get out of their local church, move to college, they're outside of their parents' immediate influence, many of them rebel, and they can rebel sexually and in other ways. And and often what we see happening, especially with that generation, that millennial um, and all the other, whatever whatever the generation now between 20 and 30 are called, I don't know, um, X, no, no I'm, a, I'm a Gen X, whatever they are, you see this massive movement of deconstruction mm. where they are leaving Christianity or leaving evangelicalism. And then they set up social media accounts and other venues to explain all the negative and the toxicity of everything they were taught to, to lump it all together. As it's all wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think part of what we're seeing is in the 60s and 70s, when kind of the sexual revolution happened, the church responded. Oh, we got to teach people why this is wrong. We got we to provide a better, better ethic. Yes. Somewhere in the press. In the process, rather than being something that was liberating for people in the church, it became another set of rules and issues that good Christians can't talk about or think about or feel or experience. And and so some of that hurt may not be direct hurt from something that's happened, but some of that hurt may be from the teaching itself that they've received. So where where is the hope, you know, for the pastor listening in, for the parent listening in? Where where is the hope from which they can draw in order to move toward resources that are going to help them as well? But let's start with the hope. Okay, let me let me let me start there. There's two places. Um my 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 ultimate answer is the gospel. Yes. It's in Christ. Um it is an interesting statistic when you you study what the Bible actually says about sex and sexual sin. It's it's less than what it says about gossip and slander. Yes. So the Bible actually has more condemnation for gossip and slander than sexual sin. You have within the gospel, you have Jesus encountering people with sordid past. Yes. And those are the people he's associating with. Those are the people that he extends unbelievable grace to, to the point that people said, well, he was, you know, he's a friend of sinners and he did these things and he's not a holy man because he's not hanging out with the right people, but he showed them love. He showed them compassion. And so within the gospel, the core, you know, obviously is Christ, but the core is the grace of God. And this is not an area because maybe our own discomfort maybe because of our own shame, this is not an area where grace has been at the forefront of that conversation. Mm. You know, as Paul says, where sin abounds, grace overabounds, right? You can't out the grace of God. Mm. And so I often, I often make this statement, and I'm, I'm hesitant to do so because I don't want to be taken out of context, but 
I don't think God gets as upset about our sexual sins as we do. I think all sin is an affront to a holy God. Yes. But I think we have magnified the severity of it beyond what may be warranted. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's serious. Yes, it's intimate. Yes, Paul says every other sin a man commits um, outside of his body, but sexual sin is sin against you know the self, right? There are spiritual yeah, and yeah. psychological damage that comes from, you know, bad sexual decisions and practices. Yes. So I'm not minimizing it, but I am saying that God's grace is 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 for me the sap the the salve that provides the first level of healing mm. and the continued healing that needs to guide all discussion. Yes, and that that's definitely seen in the woman caught caught in adultery, uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. I mean there's there are so many examples David, his sin, uh, the role that Bathsheba played in the kingdom afterwards. I mean there there are so many pictures of God's grace. And what I'm hearing the two of you share is we're missing some of our opportunities to share the grace of God by avoiding this topic of human sexuality and the and the role that discipleship plays, disciple-making plays in the development of men and women in their sexuality. And on that note, um, and this is something that, that, that Brian mentioned about like virginity. So part of one of the things that's happened with as as an effect of the purity movement and a lot of the teaching that was associated with it is that one's worth before God was tied up in their sexual purity. And therefore, if someone messed up sexually, they were now, to borrow a quote from a, a book title, damaged goods. They're now less than. They're, God is disappointed with them. They're, you know, if it's a, if it, if it's a girl, she's no longer going to be somebody that a man would want to marry. Mm. Now, I came out of a, a largely unchristian, unchurched, very pagan background in my, in my younger years. And I made a lot of bad decisions sexually in those years. Um, but I've now been married for 30 years. And... <laughs> <laughs> And and what I want to what I want to em- emphasize is not that it's okay that people do whatever, right? But that that is not the end all be all. Amen. In someone's spiritual life, yes. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's healing and redemption. And sometimes it takes years. Yes. To to really experience that, hmm. um, but it doesn't ruin somebody for the rest of their life. God doesn't look at someone who's made mistakes sexually and then come back and say, well, you're now disqualified from ever being of any use to me. Mm. Now, now I give the caveat that somebody in ministry, yeah. <laughs> right. And even, even just married couples within the church, there can be some severe, some serious ramifications. Yeah. Uh, someone in ministry should not be prone to making sexual mistakes doesn't right. make them less sexual beings. Right. Right. But in the SBC, we've recently become aware of the extensiveness yes. of sexual abuse and sexual mispractice um, that has largely, it's become epidemic. And so, so we have to have, and once again, that healthy sexuality, disciplined sexuality, it's a reality we live with. Um, but, but I think sometimes because we put such you know, strict red lines around it, that because it's the forbidden thing, it often becomes the greatest temptation for people. Let me, let me jump in and say something that as a metaphor, I don't know if it's good enough, but as a, as a driver, we've got people that will make mistakes. We gave our kids the high school car when they were driving in the high school parking lot, because we know that there's a lot of things that happen in a high school parking lot that are not going to be pretty. And right. so we gave them the very not pretty car and said, hey, you you very well might make a mistake. Please don't, right? We don't want right. you to. Right. Please don't get hurt and don't hurt other people. But when you do park too close to the to the parking wall and you hit it, 
I'm not going to be devastated that your car has a new ding. Just learning. Now, that standard should get better as they become better drivers. Yes. And yet, we wouldn't want a 16-year-old kid to be a bus driver hauling around 50 people. Why? Because that takes a very different level of perfection. Yes. You can make a mistake when you're driving alone. Once you start adding passengers to what you're leading, mm-hmm. now making mistakes causes other people harm. Mm-hmm. So um, we need to teach people and, and expect that, yeah, they're not going to be perfect. In fact, sexuality is the only place where we expect perfection on the first time. Um, mm-hmm. We expect perfect behavior and no mistakes. And if you do make a mistake, well, then you're damaged goods. Yeah. And and by the way, you might as well leave the church because we're not going to ever talk nice about you again. Mm. Right? These are really harsh things. And mm. so in terms of giving the hope, the hope mm. comes in saying probably um, most of the pastors listening have heard enough stories in their office that they realize, wow, this this church hurts. And yes. we probably don't need to be rock throwers. Once right. you've been a pastor long enough, you realize everybody's a sinner. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you kind of get overwhelmed sometimes yes. hearing the stories of the parishioners. So I think we've got to to kind of spread that news mm. that we're all wounded. Yes. And I think there's hope in knowing that mm. we're all wounded. And because we're all wounded, yeah, sometimes somebody might throw a rock. Mm. They're hurting. They mm. throw rocks when they're hurting. Yes. But I think the bigger takeaway is we're helping each other. Uh, my pain and your pain are different pains, yes. but we're both hurting. That's right. And it's in that that commonality that we have to fall at the foot of the cross and say, mm-hmm. I can't save myself. Mm-hmm. I can't be good enough. I'm never yes. going to perfect my sexuality to, to the point that I won't have another sexual sin. Uh, one of the things that, that I really like about teaching this is I realize that you know I'm one or two decisions always away mm-hmm. from making a bad decision. Yes. And and not trying to be playing the line, but it's called being alive. Mm-hmm. And it is it is I'm aware that I could have a problem. Mm. I've been married 38 years, but I could be divorced if I had made a mistake here or a mistake there. Yes. Almost as easily, right? Right. It wouldn't have taken right. a, a whole lifetime of mistakes. It would have taken one or two at the wrong time. Yes. So when we when we realize this brokenness, then we can talk about the redemption that Christ gives, and we can go through our biblical characters and say, and and this is why I wish we did, right? I wish we had more biblical characters. I mean, we can look at the patriarchs and all of the the polygamy and the the bad choices they made, and but we don't talk about it. Hmm. Uh, When we talk about the heroes of the faith, we could talk about some of their mistakes. That's right. But we instead want to focus on the joy because— that that is the heart of the gospel is that we're redeemed, and so mm-hmm. that is that is what we do have to bring to the their children, the yes. parents, and the parishioners of any kind. Yes, yes. So I'm sure that some of the folks listening in, pastors, ministry leaders, parents, just the curious, they've had some aha moments. You've said some things that have given them an opportunity to think. That's right. I can relate to that. There is the hurt. There is the hope. What are some resources? Do you can you think of some resources that they could turn to to help them as they because again this is introductory and it's a lifetime of discipleship in this area that's needed. What are some resources they might be able to turn to? Well, we've read a lot of books <laughs> out of necessity. We've assigned a lot of books to students, and and so you know both of us haven't read all the same books, but mm-hmm. we've all we've both read a lot of books. Strangely, few of the books are uh, dealing with sexuality apart from the language, right? There's mm-hmm. they're buying into the language. Okay. But there's there's a couple of authors that have helped to stop the, the language train. Okay. Uh, and and one of the authors is Rosaria Butterfield. She has written several books, at least a couple of books on mm-hmm. her journey. Yes. Uh, out of a lesbian lifestyle and into a different lifestyle. And again, as an English professional, she's really good to bring out this, yes. this conversation. Uh, Janelle Paris has written a book on sexual identity that is just fantastic. An anthropologist who says 
we've we've got to stop thinking in terms of heterosexual and homosexual this that that language itself is not helpful so again those are two books kind of on the language side that yeah. have been helpful for us two authors how about you dr brandy you know a lot of the literature out there uh, tends to be a little bit specialized in the sense of it's only going to be dealing with say issues of same-sex attraction you know homosexual you know lgbtq issues or it's going to be very kind of technical in terms of like dealing with uh, kind of a, a more robust understanding of sexuality and ethics. Two, two books that I, I would recommend. One is Todd Wilson, and it's a little book. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, you could read this one in a day. It's called Mere Sexuality. <laughs> um, and what I like about his book is he's ultimately wanting to deal with the issues of same-sex um, sexuality. But he he does so by framing it within we have to have a, a an understanding of the entirety of the biblical narrative on how we should think about ourselves sexually. I mean, he has a whole chapter on the sexuality of Jesus, which you would think, what? But then when you read it, you're like, oh, my goodness, I never thought about those things. And his point in that chapter was simply that Jesus was fully human. He was a man. You know, he. I won't I won't get into some of the details. But he ultimately his point is and he had a complete whole satisfying life as a single man yeah. in relationship with God. And there he's pushing back to the notion that in order for me to be whole and complete and happy, I have to be in a relationship with somebody. It's really good. So Todd Wilson's book is very readable. It's intended for kind of just your your lay audience. A book that's a little bit more advanced, but I think is helpful, is Jonathan Grant's um, Divine Sexuality. Okay. It's a little bit more philosophical, but what he's getting at is more on relationships mm-hmm. and the way that we as a society think about them. And, and, and that's a very good book as well. I mean, there's numerous books out there, um, and I could, I could go on. Once again, it depends on the issue. Right. If you have a son or a daughter that's dealing with their sexual identity and 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 identifying as LGBTQ, there's resources for that. Um, that's the majority of it that's current. Uh, one book that I think is very helpful in that is Wesley Hills, Washed and Waiting. Wesley Hills, a New Testament professor, and and he is identifies as, you know, he's same sex attracted. And it's essentially it's his story about all the years he acknowledges that it's a sin um, and all the years of agonizingly trying to pray the gay away and he lives a celibate life and how he found fulfillment in his church community Mm. it's a really good book it gives you a real good insider's perspective on some things Um, same thing with rosario butterfield Uh, those books really shed a lot of light on on some things that somebody who may not struggle with those things maybe feeling and 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 some of where they're coming from yes but also still robustly i think biblical and um i think you can rely on on their 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 theology and and Uh, dr butterfield's book i believe is openness unhindered one of them another one is like an unlikely convert i want to highlight something going back to some of the the healing and 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 the pain and the hope um so much of our what we're saying here is being able to talk about these things, right? Yes. And being able to to discuss it with people. Yes. Part of the problem is in American Christianity, as Americans, we tend to be rugged individualists, right? We tend to go about life, it's me, and it's my life and my story. Whereas in other cultures, especially the biblical culture, it was much more community-oriented, much more corporately understood. Okay. So when we come together for church, it's a bunch of individuals practicing their their individual faith gathering together, right? Yeah. And we don't always recognize that, you know, we need one another. So we talk about fellowship, which often revolves around potluck and doing meals together and having, you know, events. But but I kind of I borrow from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. That this is something that we're we're entering into relationship with one another, where we're our community 
is is our safe place. It's where we can live life together, struggle together, pray together, celebrate together in a very open context where we are all moving toward the goal of becoming more Christ-like. Yes. And that's not an atmosphere that's in the majority of our churches. Yes. Um, and and so we, you know, part of it is a larger issue. It's not just saying, well, let's just talk about sex. It's you have to create an environment. Not only that, but you have to have trust. And gossip and what somebody's going through. I've been in too many Sunday school classes where somebody opens up and it's not long before their private information, everybody knows. Yes. And and their shame and their they're ostracized not necessarily intentionally, you know, you have to have trusted people you can talk with. Yes. And it has to be an environment where people are valued and protected. And it's not airing dirty laundry and everybody talking about it because not everybody struggles with the same sense. Not everybody struggles with the same hurt. What, what, what difficult for me may not be difficult for somebody else and so forth. And that goes back to something Dr. Camp want, you know, has, we'll talk about, and that is, your hurt is not my hurt. It's not the same, but we can't minimize that either. So it's a bigger kind of life issue than just a matter of dealing with sexuality. There's, there's, so when we talk about discipleship, we're talking about all areas of life. That's right. And part of that is, yeah, it's great if your pastor gets up there and preaches a series on sex and, 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 and church, fine. Um, or if the youth group does a talk one you know, one night or a series on sex, that's fine. But it really needs to be something that's more, not something as a series that you plan, but a culture that you create. Amen. And Dr. Camp, you have another resource in mind? Um, I, I was just going to say the resources are really dependent upon the topic. And, yes. and so lots and lots of good, good mm-hmm. books written. Mm-hmm. What isn't much written is a book that says, hey, we're all sexual beings. Yes. And uh, let's just stop stop trying to identify beyond that, right? Mm. That that phrase is is weird to people. They yes. they say, no, give me a category. I'm heterosexual. Well, no, you're sexual. Yes. Why don't Why don't we just stop there and say you're a sexual being, and you will have temptations, some mm. of which uh, you can fulfill. You, some of the things you can go for, and yet many things you cannot exercise. You cannot do. Mm those things, even if you want to, even if you feel like you're made a particular way. I'm, I'm sorry, the Bible has some parameters, and although you want to do something, it doesn't make it godly. It doesn't make it healthy. And so we've got to get to a place where we're willing to address, uh, again, as Dr. Bandy just said, we're not all facing the same challenge. And if we can just back back it up a little bit and say, you have a challenge how can I help you deal with your challenge? And by the way, I've got a challenge too. Can you help me deal with mine? Mm. And to do that as a culture is really, really hard. Mm. We, we've seen examples of people who over-disclosed mm-hmm. and, and wound up really not having a communal place to be mm. because mm-hmm. everybody knows too much about them. Yes. And it's almost the feeling of, well, I'm the only one here who's a sexual center. And the rest of you guys are perfect. And, you know, anybody that's been alive knows that that's not true. That's not true. But we're not saying it. Yeah. Well, you you men have been so helpful today. I want to thank you for the time that you've shared. I've had aha moments. I'm sure listeners have had some moments of of discovery. And, And I thank you for bringing forward the hope. And this picture that you've painted of community, that we are to be striving toward community, communities of grace where we're discipling people in all areas of their lives. And so I want to encourage you in in your book and hopefully books, plural, that you'll be writing together and individually. And, uh, and again, thank you for your investment in the kingdom of God through your disciplines. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that was just fantastic. This is actually my favorite part of the podcast now where I get to ask you the question, how do we use what we just heard to bring hope home? Corland, I would say first and foremost is marry the concept or concepts of healthy sexuality 
with your discussions with your family and your friends rather than just a discussion about maybe what's wrong that you're afraid of, but healthy sexuality. Sexuality doesn't make up our identity. Our identity is that we're created in the image of God and are taught how to love others as he loved us. A part of that is being created as sexual beings, but we don't need to get those confused. I would also say have a clear understanding in your life as to how you are the Incredible Hulk, uh, that, that Incredible Hulk that is within us that's learning how to, how to live with that and use that training in a healthy way. What a wonderful podcast, things that each of us need to put to use in our families and in our churches. And I definitely think this is a discussion that's too big just to wrap up inside of one podcast. But I think the encouragement would be that this is the the beginning and a start, hopefully, for you listeners to really open your mind about these things. And like James said, make sure that we are having these healthy conversations at home and not just talking negatively about them, but kind of changing the light in which we talk about them. Absolutely, Cortland. Well, guys, this has been the Finding Family Purpose podcast. As always, if you liked us, please leave a review or maybe a five-star rating. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We are edited and produced by Don Andrews. Our music is by Graham Griffin, and we have been recording at IBC Studio for the Pottawatomie Lincoln Baptist Association. Until next time, we'll see you guys later, and have a great day.